takeover of keep the kayfabe what up what up it's a very special episode of keep the kayfabe i'm steve who you're used to hearing week to week but that's where things change we're taking a moment tonight to go a little deeper into a true wrestling icon that we talked about on the last episode um but the format's a little different with me it's a friend of the show one-time guest host the beloved gary from ohio um gary and i have known each other for 44 45 years at least we grew up loving wrestling together we both watched wwf in the 80s then when the 90s came along i think i stuck with them for a while he switched over to nwa wcw um but then by the time nitro and nwo got going we kind of swapped back i became huge wcw gary was all in on the attitude era wwe and then on and off from there we've stuck with wrestling now aew in particular Gary, a little bit more WWE than me, but enough prattling. Gary, welcome to the show. Thanks, Steve. And it is awesome to be with you tonight. Um, I think that this is going to be a fun little uh, adventure for us. Um, you know that I have the utmost respect for the Keep the Kayfabe crew and uh, love everything that they're doing. Um, and I think that in a lot of ways, what we're about to do here is is going to be a, a, a really nice bonus feature for the, for the fans of the podcast. And um, it gives us an opportunity to kind of go deeper, uh, make a deeper dive on different topics. And uh, this one is uh, particularly um, uh, germane to what's happened uh, just recently. Um, and I'm excited because I know you've already mentioned his name and saying that you could do a podcast on this guy for over an hour. So we're going to try to get 45 to 50 good minutes for the fans. And who are we talking about tonight, Steve? The genius, Lenny Poffo. Yes, I mean, I think he's gonna. This is gonna be an awesome, um, awesome deep dive. Uh, you know, it's interesting about uh, Lanny Poffo is there's kind of like the three lives of Lanny Poffo. There was the, 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 the one that I'm m- most uh, was most intrigued by was what what I would ca- call his pre WWF WWE days. You got super jazzed about his WWE days, and then. You know, there was this post-life after WWE in which um, we've seen him in a number of of instances, and a lot of those were in um, these really magical moments of promotion for, uh, and more often than not, and the one thing we're going to we're going to always come back to about Lanny is his promotion of everyone else except for himself. Mm -hmm. And I think that is going to be one of the things of his legacy that, um, that we're going to be able to spin back to. uh, And that I think is going to be something he's going to live on forever is just that humility and willingness to always put others over that ended up in the end now is going to put him over and solidify his place in wrestling history. 
Yeah, I think you need only because, you know, I was obviously like all of us, like kind of phased when he died. And I kept looking on Twitter, um, mm -hmm. like do a search for his name and just the amount of legends and current stars that weighed in on him. And, yeah, it was that recurring theme about class act, always a nice guy, always. Yeah. yeah and always putting his brother over and other people. Yeah, totally. Yeah. It's you know, to get ready for this episode, um, for us to do this tonight, I, I, I did kind of go back and do a little research. And so, um, you know, let's maybe start back there, kind of back where it started. Uh, you know, Lanny uh, got his start. He was trained by his father, um, the great Angelo Poffo. And um, they, um, one of the things that people Probably because a lot of what we know about Lanny was almost this jobber-like figure that emerged in the WWE, and that was what people saw on television. But he had a life pre, almost pre-TV, even though it was TV in the territory days, um, and it dated all the way back into the 70s. Uh, he and his dad were a tag team, and um, and guess what? In the 1970s. Take a guess, Steve, what Angelo Poffo's ring attire was. Oh, boy. Was it was it a collegiate robe? By it was. Yes. Oh, my God. He, that was that was a guess. Yeah. But he literally wore a cap and gown, which That's so is great. crazy to think about because we remember, right, the genius gimmick that he had. And here it is. He really it it started with his father. Uh, back in 1974 and in 1974 and 75 they were the nwa uh, tag team champions at one point wow uh, yeah and so think about this now okay so in the 70s in from 74 to 79 take a listen to the the people that he so he never won um he never won a singles championship during that period of time from the from 74 to 79 but Take a listen to the people he battled, some of which he battled in hour-long draws or in, you know, really classic battles. Terry Funk, wow. Harley Race, Adrian Adonis, Tully Blanchard, Roddy Piper. The who's who I mean, of excellence right there. Absolutely. When you think of the of the history of wrestling, right? Like those names are literally on Mount Rushmore's of people and who is battling with them and going toe to toe was the genius Lanny Poffo, who was just known as Lanny Poffo at the time. Right. I would, I would think that would give him a little cred too. You know, like he's living in the shadow yeah. of his dad and stuff, but you start yep. getting, you cutting your teeth against guys like that. And I assume he acquitted himself well, and that earned him some respect. Absolutely. And I think I think one of the fascinating things about this era of Lanny Poffel that, again, very few people know about because there wasn't there's just not a lot of tape on it. Right. There's just not a lot of things you can go to on YouTube or anywhere to be able to see some of these things. And, you know, but he was he was in uh, NWA territories, um, got action out in the Portland territory, which we know is where Roddy Piper was yep. big. Um and then, you know, his brother starts to come into the equation and his brother, um, Randy Savage, um, who, who many people even today struggle to connect the two. Right. Like it's crazy because they yeah. couldn't be they couldn't be more diverse um, characters. But one of the things um, 
you know, Randy got his kind of real taste of professional wrestling in the Detroit area by the Sheik. Um, and the Sheik was a classic figure in that area. And um, but it was in that era that Randy developed this persona of being a super wild man, whereas Lanny uh, always continued to maintain more of a stoic kind of character. Right. Um, and it's funny. I don't know if you caught like Dutch Mantel has, a, I think, a podcast and mm. he talked he talked about him, I guess he. What I didn't, what he wasn't clear on is if he was literally Lanny's first opponent or Lanny's first opponent in WWE. And that I didn't get a clear picture. Yeah. But he, was, yeah. he was talking a bit about him, but he said that, yeah, he talked about the brothers and he said like off camera, they couldn't have been more different. Like you just said, he said that yeah. Macho Man could be a hothead, like things would just tick him mm-hmm. off and he'd get off. And, and he's like, you could like practically like, you know, slap Lanny Poffo in the face and he would just be that calm, reserved. It's just funny how different they were. Yeah, I, I mean, and yet in the same token, like they both shared this immense, um, this immense desire to to wrestle in a in a way that was ahead of its time. So like for Randy, he was extremely, you know, he was that wild man, but he was a high flyer. And so was Lanny. Like Lanny is credited with potentially being one of the very first to really bring like the moonsault into professional wrestling because he had a very strong gymnastics background in fact um it's it's through um that um that i've heard on numbers of occasions that rob van dam has has given a lot of credit to Lanny Poffo as create as create as him being able to mimic that type of approach. And to think of where Rob Van Dam is and was right. And Lanny, it, again, you would be like, boy, they're not even on the same planet in terms of wrestling psychology. And yet here is Rob Van Dam crediting Lanny Poffo as, as somebody that he was like, I got so much from watching his matches and, and mimicking his style. And if you're a younger fan or you're only used to say current WWE or AEW, like it may be like the moonsault. You're like, I see that like 10 guys do that a show. Ward Wardlow does it, you know? Yes. But I don't think you realize the era. It's like, I mean, I'm trying to think of a move. Take like maybe um, Pox, like uh, what is that called? Red Air where he like does like something like that. Like back in that era, like that was the moonsault. Like no, like like two, three people did it. So it was like, it's it's a trendsetter. Yeah. Think about um, think about how intense and insane the moment was when Jimmy Snuka flew off the cage. Yes, right. I mean, it's an iconic moment when he he and Don Morocco are fighting. And and for people that are listening, that wasn't even during the match. I think that was after the match because yeah. Morocco had cheated to win or something like that, right? And um and so. But now coming off the top of a cage is like commonplace. Like anytime like, there's a cage, you expect that's going to happen. Yeah, you almost expect it. Right? But exactly. I think other thing, like that era, Harley Race used to go off the top rope with a headbutt, and there were old school guys that decried that as the end of wrestling because, like, quote unquote, <laughs> high flyer. So like moonsaults and stuff yeah. in the early '80s. I remember seeing it and be like, "What the hell is he? Do- what is this?" Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, so. I mean, it's interesting because the trajectory of Lanny takes a turn then um, right in in between 1970 
1984, which uh, for those of us that lived that period of time, for the most part, which was our childhood, basically, which was the heyday of the territory. And it was after 84 where everything kind of went <laughs> to heck in a handbasket. Um, but in 1979, his father, um, they created an alternate, basically an alternate uh, promotion to battle Jeff Jarrett and um and or not not Jeff Jarrett, his father, uh, so the Jarretts, and then the Memphis Territory. So they created what was called known as ICW, which was out of t Kentucky. It was, believe it or not, they were considered not only a renegade promotion, but it was the first quote unquote invasion angle that occurred. Yeah. yeah so ICW would go into Jerry Jarrett's territory or go into Memphis as this renegade group that would try to create chaos and do all this stuff, which ultimately led to the iconic um, battles between Randy Savage and Jerry Lawler, which then propelled him, Randy Savage that is, to the WWE. Um, but it was in ICW that, um, and and I, I couldn't believe it when I read it, but uh, think about this. There were only four people between 1979 and 1984 who wore the world championship strap in ICW. Randy Savage, a man by the name of Paul Christie, a guy we know very well, Ronnie Garvin, Rugged and, Lan and Lanny Poffel. Wow, four, that's that's the company there. Yeah. So he was, in essence, you know, that's he was the 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 heavyweight champion. In fact, on, there's a guy, uh, a writer named Keith Elliott Greenberg, um, and I'm credit. I will credit him for a lot of what I'm um, I'm kind of going back in history on. He was a, a really good friend of Lanny's and he also um, is a wrestling historian. And so um, a lot of what he what what I learned was from listening to some of his he was on Busted Open. He was on, he did uh, another podcast. He did a couple different guest appearances because people were like, he was really close with Lanny. Uh, but on, uh, in ICW, another groundbreaking thing, like they did a hour long match that basically was the whole show in, uh, in between uh, Randy Savage and Lanny Poffel for the title. So can you imagine a whole show, like a whole hour long show with commercials, but the only thing they showed was that match. Wow. That had to be just, yeah. a, just a, uh, what a marathon. Yeah. Yeah. But, but think about what that was at its time. I mean, yeah. thank God, thank God there probably wasn't any picture in picture. We can talk about picture in picture oh. for another day, but it's one of the banes of wrestling these days. But, but, yeah, and and for those of you listening, um, where what is another significance of ICW? It was uh, the birth of um, another important character in both of their lives, Elizabeth Hewlett, who wow. we know as um, the lovely Elizabeth, and that's where Randy met Elizabeth, and she was an on-camera host. Wow, there's a lot that happened in that little federation. Yeah. So um, the last last history lesson before I before we transition to WWF WWE days, I, 
I want you to think about this also. So after 1984, ICW kind of ran its course, and then um, both Randy and Lanny landed in Mid-South, which, you know, technically was more Bill Watts, but it was also kind of synonymous name with the Memphis Territory. So take a guess, another one, guess who his tag team partner was um, in Mid-South in 1984. Would it have been Jerry Lawler? No, um, I, a, ma- a man with <laughs> ravishing Rick Rude. <laughs> Absolutely. So wow. Lanny Poff, and guess who they're who they had a feud with? You you just tell me at this point. The Midnight Express. Oh God. Yeah. So I was like, well, oh my! That, I was that, like, oh, that had to be so good. I was blown away. I was like, Rick Rude, Lanny Poffo against the Midnight Express. Sign me up. Buy me a ticket. Front row. I can't even imagine those two together. No. Talk about different personalities again. But then again, not really, because remember at that time, I mean, Lanny was pretty jacked. Like he was. Oh, yeah. If you look at old pictures. Yeah. yeah, If you look at old pictures of Lanny, like or even um, more modern day pictures, he was pretty jacked, Steve. Like he was no. He was he was in good shape. And so um, so to think and again, Rick Rude wasn't quite the you know, I mean, we probably saw Rick Rude when we watched world class championship wrestling. But Rick Rude wasn't the the character he became in right. the WWF. The so I mean, you eel, yeah, 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 you can kind of see it. Um, and then um, Lanny turned his sights throughout the rest of 84 after that kind of after they ran that its course on that um on on those matches um it, he had a rivalry uh with buddy landell <laughs> it or not. yeah and so last piece so after that he goes to the cwa which we know now is the continental wrestling association that was a lot of jerry jared stuff so randy and lanny now got together and they formed a tag team and they were battling and feuding with the Rock and Roll Express. Um, and then the, this is where I mean, I loved, loved, loved this last piece because you will definitely, um, you'll mark out when you hear this. So he, Lanny, then challenged the then CWA champion, Hot Stuff Eddie Gilbert. Oh, I always liked Hot Stuff. I loved him, right? With Missy. I mean, yeah. Missy was like one of our, well, for me, like he was like one of the first wrestling crushes I ever had. Yeah. I was like, and and also it was that period of time when when um, Mid South was kind of converting to the UWF. And that was such a fun time. Um, that was the tail end of the beginnings of the next iteration of the NWA. Um, so. Then he feuded, he and his brother feuded with Eddie Gilbert and Wildfire Tommy Rich. <laughs> Another classic name. And the very last feud he had um, with his brother before they um, before they went into the WWF was uh, feuding for the, the then AWA Southern Championships against the Fabulous Ones. Steve Kern and Stan Lane. Absolutely, which was... Which we then, and so to kind of put a summary on phase one of Lanny, right? Like, think about the people he was exposed to. Right. And yet, except for uh, some brief stints in the ICW, this is where Lanny learned to put people over. 
Right. Which because is not, in, yeah, that's a huge thing. And people a huge yeah. thing. And, and one of the themes that um, we'll come back to, I'm sure by the end, is if there was ever the consummate professional, it was Lanny Poffel. Like he, he won by losing. He yeah, and won, that's a, and it's a, it's a lost art today. It is because there are those guys like Lanny Poffo, Iron Mike Sharp, Rene Goulet, Barry mm-hmm. Horowitz, you name it. That that's almost entirely, you know, at the exception of Lanny's genius run, almost entirely what they did for a while there. Absolutely. And it seems like oh boy, they're down on their luck, but no, they're playing this huge role because oh. the guys they put over wouldn't be, you know, the Paul Orndorffs and these guys wouldn't have, you know, they need to get through those obstacles Absolutely. to build up. You can't just jump, you know, 50 50 booking and the things you see a little bit more nowadays, like, like it just doesn't do the same thing, it doesn't. And yet, the character, and we will, we'll need to do this episode soon, the, the role of the jobber or today enhancement talent, but we know them as jobbers. The role of the jobber was significant and it was very important. And yet it's the jobbers you remember. You remember Iron Mike Sharp. You remember um, um, Rene Goulet. You remember the Barry Horowitz patting himself on the back. Uh, Kenny J, who just passed away from the AWA. Jake the Milkman Millman. Oh my like gosh, those yeah. characters were larger than life, and they never won a match ever in the vision that we saw, and it didn't matter. And yet they had amazing careers doing amazing things, making those stars look just awesome. Absolutely. So it's around 1985, Steve. Yeah, that Lanny, Lanny makes a Lanny makes a leap, pun intended. Well played, because he debuted in WWF at the time, later WWE, as Leaping Lanny Poffo. And he would have this, uh, you know, like, it's funny, I was listening to Dutch Mantel, and he was, the way he was describing his character was almost, he's like, it's almost like, it's funny to Dutch, and Dutch is like a, you know, old school man's man, but he's like, mm-hmm. this guy's a baby face, but he's kind of acting effeminate a little bit, and he's acting yeah. kind of that, he likened him to uh, uh, Exotic Adrian Street, if you remember him, yeah, guys like yeah. that, where he kind of had that little bit of flamboyance. But man, I watched some videos, he was over, like, you know, he he read his poems, and people would go nuts. And yeah. Um, yeah, his first match in the WWE was a, a tag team. He t- uh, he teamed with Pedro Morales, who was I think the no original way. the original guy that won the you know the Triple Crown. He won the Intercontinental yep. World and Tag Team, and they took on Barry O and J A Rizzo. I don't know who J A Rizzo was, but uh, Barry O was um, um, Cowboy Bob Orton's brother. Uh, um, brother. Oh no! Yeah. No way. Yeah, I did not know that. Yeah, uh, he, wasn't he the guy who, who when he's a Barry? Oh, oh he would when make he the, the <laughs> oh with his hands. Yeah, he was yeah. Uh, he was an Orton. Oh my gosh, that's so crazy. Yeah, wow. So yeah, what he'd do is he'd he'd come out. He had like a sequin coat, and he'd come out and read a poem, usually ripping on his opponent or some heel. Crowd would love it. Um, uh-huh. And and you know he actually started off like beating a bunch of fellow undercarders for a good while. I forget, I didn't, yeah. you know, like at least a while he was undefeated. 
And then uh, then he started doing the job for guys like, you know, Big John Stud, Hercules, Jesse the Body, the big yeah. big heels of the era. Um, but, they, you know, I, I read that they, um, he would get in more offense than the average jobber. Like, he'd actually get to oh. show some of his aerial moves and you stuff. Know, so so yeah, he's, like, I, losing, but he was still putting in some stuff. Yeah, so, I, you know, I think I, if I remember right from some of those matches, you're right. Like, he... And again, he was flying off the top rope and doing moonsaults and flips and all kinds of stuff. I mean, it was definitely um, he he didn't go down easy. No, I, I had to. I, I'm going to recite a poem oh, because it's good. just a taste for everybody and the, the, the baby face promos that he did. And this one was funny because one, he looked super young. He was taking on Paul Orndorff. And even halfway through his poem, he kind of smiled because the crowd was in it. He, he was like getting into it. But here it is. Okay. I'm, I'm wrestling Mr. Wonderful, and he is looking great. He's handsome, tall, and muscular, but still can't get a date. With Bobby Heenan at his side, he thinks he's really hot. But getting past the Hulkster takes a lot more than he's got. Crowd cheers. It's like that cheap, cheap pop, you know. Exactly. <laughs> and then he probably just got me. beat down. Oh, I watched the match. He got destroyed. He got like suplexed on the floor, like on oh the. Gosh. And then he got the pile driver, and he was done. But oh. it was great. He still got his his verbal attacks in. Yeah. Oh, that's great. I mean, he. When you think about, so, you know. You think about it today, and this was brought up in a number of, of times that I heard different um, different things mentioned about Laney. But thinking today about, one, no chance anyone's throwing a Frisbee out into the stands no. or out into the crowd today. Like, no. <laughs> absolutely not happening. And then, two, um, just thinking about, you know, the evolution of PAFO today comes in the form of the acclaimed oh yeah yeah i mean you when know, you think about poem, it rap it's all yeah slamming their opponent and rhyme i mean exactly totally. yeah. yeah so i mean like there is a lot to be said about what he what he began during that period of time and how it's kind of evolved more to a more modern pace so people that are listening that may not know much about lanny poffo i mean basically what you see the acclaim doing is exactly what he was doing before the matches albeit far more far more corny but yes. I, you know the thing the thing steve is you know when i think back to those days man they were some of the best times in wrestling and they were so fun and i'm not knocking anything today because you and i both watch it religiously and we still get into it just as much but those were some amazing memories and that's why yeah. um you know thinking about lanny you know and and even his death you know it it does impact people of our generation who watched him because it was like wow a piece of our childhood you know just that's just that exactly so he so w w he goes further, right? Like th that he starts at, when does he actually evolve then into, um, you know, the next iteration of his character? Yeah. So, I mean, honestly, you know, like I told you, he started in 85. He kind of, there were moments here and there where you get like some winning streaks and he'd beat some people and then he'd go back to like putting over people. Um, something you brought up when we were talking the oh. other day is he's also, he was in a battle Royal on yes. one of the Saturday night's main events. It was in 87. Uh, 
and Andre, who had just, I think this was his first appearance as a heel, like, yes. gave him a headlock. I mean, <laughs> it he, was hellacious. Yeah. I, and, did he yeah, break? I, he had to have broken his nose or something. Yeah, he, I think so. Yeah, like, <laughs> he, um, yeah, he accidentally hit the bridge of his nose and broke it, and he was gushing blood. They had to stretcher yeah. him off. And I'm sure, you know, that's a rare kind of mistake for Andre. But yeah. it also, I mean, it also probably cemented the heel turn really nicely, too. You yeah. know, it wasn't intentional. Steve, I remember that, watching that match as if it was yesterday. And it was probably the first time when I started to really wake up and realize, like, oh, like, that wasn't planned. Like, Yeah, yeah, well, you like, kind of realize, yeah, that, you you're can like, just tell by the reactions. I mean, he, if... If any, if any of you are listening, you want to see something that's like hellacious, you should get that. You just look at that video because I'm telling you, he smacked him and he was just, I mean, there was blood everywhere. And so well, it was crazy. And this is by no means a rip on the modern era too, but I think that's another thing you don't realize for those of us that watched that era, blood was rare. I mean, they very rarely, they saved blading for very special moments you're right and then the accidents were were pretty rare now i mean if you watch an average episode of aew it's probably two three guys that get color uh half the time by mistake but yeah. then they're intentional so you're just desensitized to it but back then you seeing that you're like oh my god what yeah. just happened yeah that was yeah. it was a big deal and you're right because mainly color was um saved for house shows i mean yeah. it was a way to kind of like you know really uh, pun intended juice up the crowd right yes. like i mean and you know that was far more in and, and the the greatest blader of them all rick flair was you know notorious for for his blade jobs but um but so was hulk hogan believe it or not like i mean you want to talk oh, yeah. about a, a pretty consistent blader um hulk hogan um, you watch some of the literally the WWE uh, old school videos on on Peacock. Um, you'll see that a lot of his, um, you know, house show type matches, um, he blades in in very many of them. Hmm. Um, yeah. So so, yeah, then he kind of goes back and forth, back and forth, mostly probably still more losing than winning. And then he actually, at the start of 89, actually started racking up losses to the guys like Iron Mike Sharp and oh, some of the heels. Interesting. And then I think it was March of that year is when they actually pulled the trigger on the genius. Um, his first, I think, on in in arena debut was in Boston and he, you know, he cuts a promo mm. just ripping on the local crowd. Booze and Sue, but they do these promos, and I, I recited the entire first one on the last episode, uh, or on the episode of Keep the Kayfabe when we mentioned the genius, but he has like, I, I want to say four, five, six of these promos where he's in this library, like for, for all we know, it's like one of Vince McMahon's actual libraries, because they film things like at his mansion sometimes, but he just goes into these long things about his mm -hmm. accomplishments, he targets some some good guy wrestlers, Um and then, um, yeah, so I actually saw, I watched a match where he wrestled this, I don't even know who the guy was. He was some jobber, Dale Wolf. It was in 1990. And the genius starts reading a poem, and it's about Bruce Beefcake. And the, I'm telling you, the crowd was booing him so loud you could barely hear the poem. So Really? I mean, that, that dude got heat. Like, the he crowd did. was just letting him have it, which well, is wonderful. You know the 90s is an interesting era it's almost like a lost era of wrestling i think in some ways like i mean it kind of is this 
odd like evolution of more character-based wrestling um it had gone it almost was starting to go like completely to this other extreme of of gimmicky um, oh, yeah. wrestlers right so everybody had to have like a title or a gimmick and so um the genius or mr perfect or the ravishing berserker. the berserker yeah. right like there were very few um there were very few characters anymore um that just use their name and 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 yet and so it is an interesting time um but that that um was definitely probably some of his from a modern perspective probably some of his most uh, pun intended genius work because he really mixed um it, it wasn't even so much his wrestling right it was really what he was saying on the mic oh absolutely it was just is priceless yeah um yeah and so you know he's he he's a genius he starts beating people i think he beats like coco beware he starts moving his way up um he you know and i guess what also needs to be said with the entire wwe run is i don't think they once even remotely hinted that he or my he and macho man were siblings I, you know ignored what? ignored in wwe Absolutely. on camera but he, yeah, so he was at the Macho King Randy Savage's um, coronation, and oh. actually read the proclamation. Interesting. So it's like their characters That's would right. occasionally That's right. intersect. That's right. yeah. yeah, but then he becomes the executive consultant to Mister Perfect, who is like mm-hmm. you know emerging as the number one heel. He was because that's about when the AWA closed, right? And right. so they brought um, in perfect. Yep. Yeah, they brought in perfect. And, um, you know, um, Jim Brunzel was a killer bee. And, uh, and yeah, that started. Um, Larry Zabisco had now, Sergeant Slaughter was kind of coming out. So, yeah, that was the, around that time. Yeah. Um, that Kurt Henning was really evolving into that, uh, the Mr. Perfect persona. Yeah, and I think that's why I love the genius and 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 because mm-hmm. Mr. Perfect was and is one of my all time favorite characters, and yeah. having the genius with him was just just an amazing duo. But then there's the fateful day of November fifth, nineteen eighty nine. November fifth, nineteen eighty nine. It is the genius Lanny Poffo wrestling World Wrestling Federation champion Hulk Hogan. Ah, uh, yes. yes. I will remind you that Hulk Hogan came into this match. With a 21-month undefeated streak on television, the last time he had lost was to Andre the Giant. You know, with the whole double referee. Yeah, yeah. So he, you know, he's Hogan. He never loses, and he's wrestling the Genius. The match starts off where Genius is being the ultimate coward. Like he looks ready, like he's gonna lock up, but then he backs away and stretches in the corner. Hogan's getting more and more angry. Then he starts doing that kind of parading around the ring, mm-hmm. and he gets—I think he gets a move or two off—and then he starts acting like he won the, uh, you know, won the lottery. Hogan's getting ticked. Um, Hogan starts really getting fed up and starts beating the crap out of him. Um, gives him the big boot, all of that. And then at one point, when he's really getting his momentum going, he heaves Genius out of the ring, and it's like, why would he do that? But Mr. Perfect is there at ringside, mm-hmm. and when the ref's not looking, grabs the belt and smacks Hogan on the head. <laughs> Hogan gets counted out, and the genius awesome. joins the very exclusive company of the people that beat Hogan in his prime. So I I don't know. I, I'm sorry that I don't have this exact period of time, the dates, but it was, I believe then that Poffel was probably in a four or five week stretch right there where he w- did the house show loop with Hogan. Oh, I'm sh- yes. And 
he stayed i just i literally just heard um an interview with mark henry um and dave lagreca and they were with Pafo, and they asked Pafo about one of his greatest moments in wrestling and he cited that 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 little period of time of was one of the most um most remembered periods of his career and the the way he said it really struck me which was he was thankful and honored that hogan chose him to Mm -hmm. kind of run with during that period of time and it just it goes back to who he he was as a person you know i mean of course you and i never met him we only live vicariously through everything we've seen over the years but the one thing he you know will always will be able to come back to about him is just his in just his amazing ability to put people over and to really um he loved his brother like you would think oh my gosh yeah. you would think when you think about randy savage and you think about lanny poffle it almost is like there's no way they could be brothers right and for as so different of people and even i would say their characters were pretty true to life randy always took care of lanny and lanny always you know while he played second fiddle to randy never ever once complained in fact he if anything he was proud to be brought along absolutely and and that's just that's just not something we see today no and we'll we'll talk about it in a little bit when we talk about when he inducted macho man into the hall of fame but yeah, absolutely mm-hmm. it's like now if that guy ever had an ounce of uh resentment for his far more successful legendary brother that was a secret he took to the grave because that guy yeah. like just spoke adoringly. It was like the yes. he almost viewed it as like he was the custodian of like Macho Man's mm-hmm. legacy and he yeah. honored it. Yeah. And it's like the only you know, it's funny the people the only times I really heard him talk badly about other people was like that uh I can't remember her name now, but that girlfriend that was like the Macho Man's oh, like when like when yeah. WCW she she played the George, gorgeous George character. Yes. And then you know he kind of talked about how she's just you know for as bad as she says Macho Man was she sure sure makes a lot of money talking about him and, <laughs> but yeah he just yeah. was protective that family just really looked out for each other they did. um they did. yeah and we'll give another example of that when we talk about the hall of fame because that goes for both brothers but um mm-hmm. yeah so you know after that perfect run which i also believe he said was like by far the most lucrative era of his career yes. like ton of money working with hogan yeah so just a segue and this is something that also is really important remember you know, you, we have to like think back. Like the modern monitors are paid salaried, and their 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 salary is guaranteed, whether the house does well, whether pay per view advisor. But that was an era still in the '90s, in in especially true in the '70s and '80s, where you got paid what if the house drew well. So mm-hmm. when he was on those runs with Hogan. I mean, you had to imagine those were sellouts and his his checks were definitely had more zeros in front of the decimal point and not behind. And I think that I think the the the, the Poffo family from everything I've ever read or heard was extremely smart with their money. So, you they know, were. Lanny made the most of that. And I think to I the point to the point yeah. where people thought, yeah, there was <laughs> with Randy, especially there were quite a few jokes about uh Quite a quite a few ethnic jokes, I guess you'd say about, about his, you know, about his frugal, frugality. Yeah. Yes. Yes. 
Um, yeah, so, I mean, after that perfect run, he kind of lowered back into where he had been with mm-hmm. Lanny Poffo. He's losing a lot. It, you know, his last run, I'll admit, I didn't watch much of that era, but I did some digging on it. You know, he managed the Beverly Brothers, which, oh. if you remember, Mike Enos yeah. and Wayne Bloom, kind of a well, they, reasonably they were, successful team. Yeah, well, they, they were byproducts of the closure of the AWA. They were yep. the, wrecking, the, the wrecking crew, I the think Minnesota it was. Minnesota wrecking crew. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And so they then merged over, which, which, to be honest, for the last period of the AWA, which was extremely, like, it was not good. No. Um, they were somebody, they were a team that did emerge from that group. Uh, they were talent that emerged from there. Yeah. That was very good. And your trivia for the day, Mike Enos of the Beverly Brothers, good trivia mm-hmm. to keep in mind, is uh, he was wrestling another guy in WCW, uh, some guy named Steve Dahl, when Scott Hall came down with his infamous run-in to mess, break up the match to make his debut and sort of kick off the whole end of the Interesting. Mike which, Enos was in the ring. Which is very ironic, because where did Scott Hall get his real big Minnesota. break? Minnesota, yeah. AWA. And those that dudes so probably weird. knocked about together. Yeah, it's just yeah, yeah it's all cyclical. But uh, no, so then that kind of ended his run. He was done in, w- in WWE. Funny enough, at that point, WCW, his brother was in mm-hmm. around night. So Lanny Poffo signed with WCW in 1995. There's conflicting stories out there, like, Chris Jericho, I think, and some other people said he wrestled like one match on like night Saturday night or something. But other than this, maybe, maybe not one match. He he never wrestled in WCW. <laughs> Macho Man reportedly bought the gimmick, Gorgeous George, which is funny because Gorgeous George is one of the people that like sort of the genius was pandered after. Mm-hmm. And he acquired the rights to that. Lanny dyed his hair blonde, started doing this crazy workout no regimen. Not once was used, never called. He was under contract getting regular paychecks from WCW for five years, never used. Good for him. Good for him. Which is classic classic stories you hear out of Good that for him. WWC. Yeah. Yeah. Those, but um they yeah. probably had they had people probably on their bankroll just so they weren't uh on WWE's payroll. Pay yeah, or maybe it was the <laughs> ultimate favorite of the macho man and be like, okay, we'll My, pay yeah, your, we'll, you're right. We'll pay your brother for five years to do nothing. And people wonder and people wonder why they ran out of business. Like, oh, yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. That's all that's that's an amazing story. Yeah. Uh but you know, then yeah, he kind of did the indie circuit for a while. I mean, obviously he's been doing he did con- conventions yeah. and stuff for years and years. He wrote two books that you can buy on Amazon. And uh, I'll tell you, I bought one of them a few years ago. Oh, Leaping Lanny, Wrestling with Rhyme, and Limericks from the Heart and Lungs. Get out of here. So yeah. are, were they like anti-smoking, anti That anti, second book was, like, absolutely, yeah. yeah. And yeah. then the first one was just, I think, stuff from his archives of a poem. Interesting. And uh, yeah, some you know, poems better than others. Yeah, I can imagine. You know, one of the things that I did that has come up is is just the amount of people and and you and I are so unique as wrestling fans because we truly we are generation and you know I don't want to admit this but you know we are getting older and we truly have transcended these generations of wrestling right and it's hard to think that there's a whole segment of modern day wrestling fans who probably started in the 2000s that had no idea who this 
person was. Right. Um, they only knew him from maybe from watching an old an old um, episode on Peacock or something, right? But um, they they never knew him. In fact, um, Thunder Rosa articulated a story on Dave LaGreca's uh, on the, on the Friday that of the his passing about meeting him and being like, I don't even know who you are. And I, it was hard to imagine that yeah. a current modern day wrestler would be like, wow, I don't even know who you are. But, but the thing again, we'll go back to is he spoke Spanish to Thunder Rosa. Mm-hmm. He, he made her feel like she was the most important person. And by the end of the weekend, she said like, it was as if she had known him all, all her life. Yeah. And, that is it takes a special person you know to be like that absolutely which is you know segues a little bit into the hall of fame speech which i think was was probably one of the quintessential uh post wrestling uh, moments uh for lanny for lanny yeah and i i mean i don't know like um macho and there's you know rumor and innuendo about like why macho man had the falling out he did with 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 vince mcmahon obviously things were acrimonious until the day he died although he had just started doing some things with wwe at the time like the video games like promos and stuff but anyway he died tragically and it seemed like well is he ever gonna go in the hall of fame his wishes always were macho man's wishes that he would never go in the hall of fame if it wasn't it had to include his brother and his dad oh. and but in 2015 lanny poffo finally decided you know he, he made some crack at the time about how you know macho man was the big brother and always got his way but now i'm the big brother and i'm gonna make the decision and he's like the fans have suffered enough i'm gonna break that sort of commitment because it's for the fans and he inducted him into the hall of fame that's yeah, he awesome. Read a, read a poem, talked about he spent a lot of time talking about Savage's like dedication to the Special Olympics. So it's like mm-hmm. even you he even used that moment in the like limelight to promote other things like yeah. beyond wrestling. Well, and, and a lot of the things that I've seen, you know, as the advent of um the A and E specials, the biographies and the different things like that, every time I've seen Laney on one of those, he is he's he is promoting somebody else and yeah. he he really did love his brother because he he always spoke so positively about him and um even despite some of randy's misgivings right like you never ever ever caught uh, even an ounce of uh a negativity from lanny no. with regard to his brother like never he never said it publicly um, always like super positive and just it's pretty remarkable yeah no i just he's just one of those yeah and i think i even mentioned last time but i don't remember and we were talking 10 plus years ago i saw that he had a facebook profile and it looked like it was his yeah not like some fan page and i friended him and then like i don't remember if it was the following year but just at some point i wake up in the morning on my birthday and i got a happy birthday from lanny poffo that I'm is like, awesome it was like you know people like you i any of us listening that are big wrestling fans i was like over the moon i'm like lanny yeah. poffo wish me a happy birthday yeah well i mean you know we're we're probably at that point when uh you know we're, we're gonna we're gonna wrap this up a little bit oh yeah and, uh and and i guess as i as i think about this what we talked about tonight and in in 
um, in just the legacy of Lanny Poffel, it's it's remarkable how someone who went toe to toe with the greats like Adonis, Tully Blanchard, Harley Race, Brady Piper would evolve to such a place where he was literally, literally a, a nightly jobber and yet made this amazing career and will forever be known because of the character that he was. And I mean that yeah. the character, not only just his character, but his actual character of the right. human that he was. Right? right. And, and that's something that I think is, and I mentioned this earlier, but it's kind of missing today, which is, you know, we think about wrestling and I'm sure we all, you know, inside, we're always worried about the wins and the losses. Right. But you have to remember, this is a dramatic, um, you know, play on wheels, right? And it's happening. And every wrestling organization needs guys that are at the low end of the card or the mid to carry a show for that segment for that period of time. Yeah. I don't think you could have had a better low to mid card type character than the genius. Would you agree? I he's one of my all time favorites. And I think yeah, he checks all the boxes of what you want somebody filling that role to do. Mm -hmm. And uh, selfless is really a word to use to describe kind of how he conducted himself. Yeah. Well, I guess it would only be fitting if uh, we ended tonight's episode for a, with a poem for the Poet Laureate. And now, Gary Williams with a poem. The genius Lanny Poffel, we will always be your fan. From everything we know, you were truly an upright man. You never shied away from boasting of your brother's success, and yet, in your own right, you will be remembered as one of the best. From your early days to WWE, your career was quite a run. You brought all of us such great memories and times that were so fun. Throughout your time, you may not have ever won more than you lost, but your legacy will live forever, something that truly has no cost. So thank you, Lanny, for the memories and for all the poems, too. We hope you look down upon your fans and know how much we loved you. Good shit.